Welcome to the Virtual Word Rounds, a surgery podcast that helps you answer those burning questions you never had a chance to ask by the bedside. Hi everyone, welcome back to Virtual Word Rounds. Today we're discussing complications post-thyroidectomy and today we have with us our usual leader, Sergey. Sergey? Serge is fine. Um, hi, hi, Wendy. Very exciting topic. It is, it is. Some are really into this, which is interesting. And our guest today is my good friend, Samira. Hello. Hello. Samira, Hi. can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure. So like Wendy, I'm a third year medical student at Notre Dame. And before, my, before this, I did a PhD and I did medical science. Something fun. I love boxing and I love baking. Do they, do they go together somehow, hand in hand? Yes. That means because I box, I can bake and I can eat everything I bake. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, <laughs> right. fair enough. Okay. Is it, are you, are you, do, you, do you box uh, for fitness or is it uh, for competitive boxing? I'm not competitive. I do sparring. I do do sparring, but just within yeah. my gym. Well, good to know. I'm, I'm going to try, uh, you know, not to upset you or disappoint you in any shape or form. <laughs> I think that's a great idea, sir. I think, I think you have moved up in the ranks of medical students uh, in, in, in my books. <laughs> I should have done this podcast at the beginning of the year then. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Excellent. Well, thank you. Welcome, Samira, the boxer, baker, PhD nerd. <laughs> Um, good to have you. Thank you. Um, okay, Samira, so you are our after-hours intern covering the surgical ward. A concerned nurse rings you to urgently assess, assess a patient um, day zero post-thyroidectomy who's developed a swollen neck. What would you like to ask our nurse about the patient? Okay. Well, the first thing we always ask in these situations is how well our patient is so we want to know is the patient well do I need to go there right now or can I wait a little bit more so if I don't get enough information from that then I'd want to know more about the um, vitals of the patient particularly want to know about the uh, respirate the um, saturation and also how they're sounding do they have a stride or anything like that where the is this mass big enough that it's compressing on their um, vocal cords? Mm, mm. So if 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 the nurse tells you that uh, this patient is sounding like they they you know they've been making noisy breathing, uh, what would you recommend then? Oh, in that case, it depends how well or unwell again. But if they're really unwell, she might need to call do a med call. Yeah, look, I wouldn't wait for I wouldn't wait for like you know patient to. Uh, to become unwell because it's a fairly localized phenomenon, the next swelling, right? So they may well be hemodynamically perfectly well, but they, they may be already having a degree of airway compromise. So you're going to get the patient sitting up, yep. right? Yep. Sitting up uh, drains everything. It, it allows things to just stand up and up, uh, right. opens up the airway as much as possible. Uh, you're going to ask the nurse to put some oxygen on. All right. And uh, I usually tend not to bother with nasal prongs or anything, just slap on the, uh, at, at least a Hudson mask mm -hmm. and then uh, instigate a medical response team because airway is by far the most important thing that keeps you alive, right? So if there's any, any chance that the airway can be compromised and in post-thyroidectomy neck swelling, you assume it is a what? A recurrence of the tumor? 
No, it's too quick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Is it, Overnight recovery. Is, is it post-operative infection? No, it's too quick. No, what is it? It's a hematoma. It's a hematoma, it's a bleed. And the bleed is a funny thing in the neck, okay? It, it doesn't just compress, and it's a pretty soft thing. What it does, it, it causes inflammation and laryngeal edema. And also what it does, it compresses not the airway, because it's protected by your voice box, by the cartilage um, of the larynx and the trachea. It compresses the veins of the neck, reducing venous return, which contributes to laryngeal edema. And once you get that critical laryngeal edema, you're in bad trouble because intubating can be very hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have I instilled a sense of doom and urgency in you? Yes. So inflammation... Uh, reduced venous return, so the, the engorgement of the venous, uh, of the veins of the head and neck, and direct pressure together can precipitate a fairly abrupt change in the patient's uh, airway patency. And that needs, must not be ignored. Yeah. So we've talked about giving the patient oxygen and we've activated our MET call. Mm. What else should we do? surge just immediately for our patient? Uh, so we sit them up, um, we give them some oxygen, and if the swelling looks like it is uh, a hematoma, it is threatening, and you are comfortable doing that, so then you should probably open up the sutures and let the hematoma out, okay? Um, I've never had to do that uh, personally. It's better be lucky than good, but um, it has happened. Um, you can get a bleed. Uh, it can be in the middle of the night when no one is else around. And opening up the neck is very safe because you can't damage anything. Okay. Uh, everything is, uh, you, all you need to do is cut the sutures and there's uh, transverse sutures that are holding the skin. Um, open it up with gloved finger. Most of the time, the hematoma will be superficial, and most of the time, you don't need to um, open up the deep sutures. But but you can't really damage anything by just opening up the wound. The thyroid is gone. Everything is um, uh, you know pretty solid in there. So if you have to do it, uh, but most of the time, you will have someone around a little bit more senior, a little bit more experienced to do it for you. Okay. Good to know that approach. It sounds a little less intimidating than... Yeah, only look, it's scary. It's always scary. When you have patients with airway compromise, it is always scary. Um, recognizing the fact that this patient has got a threatened airway is by far the most important thing that you can do. Uh, the worst thing you can do is sweep it under the carpet and, and ignore it. You can, give, uh, you can give dexamethasone or intravenous steroids to reduce some of the inflammation. You can... Uh, give some adrenaline, either nebulized or IM again, to you know, in order to reduce some inflammation uh, swelling. Uh, but until you've removed the hematoma, it's not going to work. And during the day, you will take this patient back to theta as a uh, emergency. Um, put a put an airway. So anesthetist will put an airway in, most likely using a fiber optic intubation, and then uh, the surgeon or a registrar will open up the the neck and drain the hematoma, and the patient will probably be ventilated for a day or two after that, just to make sure that the swelling, the laryngeal edema settles down. Yes, so I think definitely good to think of when we're interns on the ward and we do have a patient that's post-thyroidectomy. Mm. Yeah. 
checking those vitals and particularly the airway. So we mentioned some main causes of a swelling, I guess. So we've talked about a hematoma. What else could it be, Samira? It could be a seroma, which is something that can happen later, um, where at the site where the surgery took place. Mm -hmm. And it can also be a, a chyle leak if the wrong vessel was um, cut during the surgery. What's, so, a chyle, what's a chyle leak, Samira, do you know? It's, is it when the thoracic duct is, or the other one, is accidentally cut? That's right, that's right, that's right. And, and you don't have to cut the, uh, the thoracic duct itself. There are, the, the lymphatics don't, don't necessarily follow just single ducts like, like veins and, uh, and arteries. And uh, most of the times when you operate, uh, you have the patient um, head up a little bit. So all those stuff is collapsed. You can't really see them very well. But uh, especially on the left side, especially if you need to do a neck dissection, if the patient has uh, cancer, um, mm. you can get into dangerous territory and you can injure um, a thoracic duct itself, in which case you have a high volume uh, chyleic or one of the tributaries of that. And uh, it's the only way you can tell is by aspirating it. And most of the time, if you have just a small seroma after thoracotomy, uh, you put a needle in, you aspirate it, and there's a bit of serous fluid coming out. In this case, it's going to be milky white. Pretty spectacular when that happens. Again, a zebra, very, very rare. And a zebra is really that rare? What about a unicorn? Oh, it depends on where you are. I mean, in Australia, they're pretty rare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The gray kangaroos are much more common. Yes. Zebras. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all, we all, we all about kangaroos in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from them, Serge. And, and, and drop bears. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've talked about some of the causes of... I guess, a neck swelling post-op. What are the other complications we could have, Samira? So I guess in this, you can have um, airway compromise would be one of the big ones you're thinking about. So other than the hematoma, you can get a recurrent laryngeal nerve severed, severed which can cause airway compromise and especially if it's bilateral, as Serge reminded me last time, because um, <laughs> you have no air entry if you have both vocal cords collapse and it's not open, so no air can go in. Yeah, for, for our listeners, let's just rehash this. So what is a recurrent laryngeal nerve and what does it do? It's a branch of the vagus nerve. Very good. And it is there to, it abducts the airway. Spreads it out, spreads them out, right? Yes. Or, or, or closes them. Or cl Open. Closes the Open. Abduct. You're abducting. Right. You're taking away. So if you don't, if you don't have any vagal in, input into the recurrent laryngeal nerve, the vocal cords will relax and they will abduct and close the airway. So that is why, um, and that, that is the only nerve that supplies all the muscles responsible for vocal cord movement. Okay, what's the other um, uh, nerve that uh, um, allows you to change the pitch of your voice? Have you heard about the, yeah. the external branch of the superior laryngeal? Yeah, so that, that nerve is actually injured a lot more commonly in the thoracotomy, but it is of much lesser consequence unless you're an opera singer because it tilts your voice box, uh, the, you, it supplies the muscle, it tilts your voice box to stretch the vocal cords to allow for high pitch sounds. Yep. 
if if it is a so and how do we how do we avoid damaging uh, the recurrent laryngeal nerve? I'm not sure. Um, what can you do? I'm trying to think. Well, before the operation, you can check that the vocal cords are functioning properly, right? Yes. And how can you check that? Well, the vocal ones, the speech, and two. The speech, yeah. Pa, 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 pa. Do you actually get patients to do that? You're stitching yourself. No, we do fiber optic. We're doing fiber optic examination of the vocal uh -huh. cords. And, and I do get my patients to, to, uh, to make a few uh, different sounds just to see the vocal cord movements. And it needs to be symmetrical and needs to be full range for, uh, for good function. So that needs to be uh, carefully um, documented. Uh, before surgery. Intraoperatively, uh, we use um, a non-invasive nerve stimulator or nerve monitor. It is currently a standard of practice in the majority of Australian hospitals in, and in the West. Uh, and it involves having a tube with a sensor, endotracheal tube with a sensor, um, and a couple of electrodes in the skin and a probe that the surgeon can use during the surgery to poke structures that look like a nerve and see if there is a reactive uh, impulse on the monitor coming from the endotracheal tube. So that will confirm for me that the nerve is there and it is functional. And I can, and I can zap it you know, a few times uh, during my dissection to make sure it is still good and I haven't somehow injured it or cut it. If we're doing a total thyroidectomy and we have injured the nerve on one side, we usually will not proceed with completion thyroidectomy because injuring the nerve on both sides is catastrophic. So that is why we use those devices to inform us if the nerve has been injured or damaged or, 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 or transected. Transection is rare. A transient paralysis is by far the most common effect. And if it is just a bit of a transient paralysis due to handling or you know, diathermy close to it, which you shouldn't do anyway, uh, then um, giving the patient a bit of time to recover and then bringing them back a bit later for contralateral side completion thyroidectomy is the way to go. Okay, so we've talked about some of the com complications, so our airway compromise. So far, we've talked about hematoma, we've talked about chylic, a seroma, and we've talked about recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy mm -hmm. uh, or, or injury. We've talked about the superior laryngeal nerve. There yes. are a few more that we can mention. Yes, there's also hypocalcemia. And why would you get that with thyroidectomy? It has nothing to do with uh, calcium, does it? No, the thyroid doesn't, but there's these little glands on top of the thyroid gland known as the parathyroid glands. Okay. And if you remove the thyroid glands and, and their gland and don't put the parathyroid glands back in, then you can get hypocalcemia, seeing as um, the parathyroid gland uh, releases PTH, which increases calcium levels. Majority of the times, the parathyroids will be either on the gland, especially the superior parathyroids, or very close to the gland. Sometimes the parathyroids can be anywhere in the neck, uh, and that's a, but that's a different story. Uh, but if your dissection, even if your dissection is meticulous, 
um, they, they're very, very um, friable, those, those glands, and they have a very delicate blood supply. So it's very easy to cause them to, to sort of to stop working for a bit as well. And if you, if you are taking uh, the thyroid gland and, and you have identified a parathyroid after you've taken it out and, and looked at the thyroid gland, then you should um, either implant it in the sternocleidomastoid muscle or somewhere else. And it usually recovers. The hypocalcemia usually recovers given given time. It's not. It, it's almost never permanent unless you uh, resected all four glands completely. How quickly can you tell that the parathyroid levels are dropping? How what's the what's the half life of a PTH hormone? Oh, that's a great question, which I don't know the answer to. Do you have any ideas? I would guess that it would be, since you asked that question, it would be a little bit longer than a day after the, or the day of the surgery. What about you, Wendy? Any ideas? Ooh, I might go the opposite, just so we've got 50-50. <laughs> and one of you is right. Okay. Samira. Drum, drum, drum roll, please. Probably um, not me because he asked for more opinions. <laughs> my for your own good. No, you are, you are wrong. Uh, it yeah. is minutes. It is minutes. And so what oh, we have intraoperatively is called a rapid PTH assay. And before you ask me, no, it's not available in Auburn. Okay, but it is available in, in Concord, it is available in North Shore, um, I'm pretty sure Westmead, most big centers have rapid PTHSA, and it gives you an answer on your PTH level within minutes. So the scenario is such, you've taken out your thyroid, you are washing, closing, hemostasing the wound. In the meantime, you ask your anesthetist for a rapid PTHSA, it comes back normal levels, happy days. Normal PTHSA will predict normal calcemia. Low PTH uh, levels um, can cause hypocalcemia. And routinely, we would be starting oral calcium supplementation and sometimes vitamin D, uh, so if the PTH levels are low. However, I just looked it up today, and it is no longer recommended to start calcium supplementation if the patient is asymptomatic from their low calcium levels all right but uh, but we still do it as far as i'm as far as i know everywhere uh, across uh, uh, sydney new south wales uh, if your pth levels are low if your calcium is dropping even if you don't have any symptoms you will get calcium supplementation and vitamin d supplementation and then you send patients home on calcium and vitamin d you check the PTH levels a couple of months down the track, and if they recover, you can uh, trial them off the calcium uh, and vitamin D and see how they go. There we go. Rapid, Samira. Okay. Rapid assay. It, it doesn't. Have, so if you don't have rapid assay available, then you can just request uh, PTH levels uh, with, with calcium the following day. Okay. So we've talked about the complications, and for those listeners who are currently in exam mode, that's definitely a high yield question. What are the complications, and what Specifically, are the two nerves at risk? So is there anything in terms of risk factors that, I guess, make these complications more likely? The risk factors for anything related to post-thyroidectomy complications are usually bigger operations. So you've got a really big goiter to resect. It can produce, uh, it, it can cause your tracheal rings to become soft. We call it, it's called tracheomalacia. And that can precipitate an airway compromise postoperatively as well. 
truly massive goiters in Australia are very uncommon, but if you work in a developing country with iodine deficiencies, you can see some spectacular stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. Another time when you will have to do a big operation will be in uh, cancer patients. So in those patients that you need to do a central neck dissection or a lateral neck dissection, it, it is a big operation. There are larger chances of uh, uh, patient developing a post-operative bleed, uh, collection, seroma infection, and the risk to the surrounding structures is, uh, is also uh, significantly uh, increased. Another specific problem um, or, or specific risk factor is active thyrotoxicosis. Uh, it is very uncommon for us to operate on a patient with active thyroiditis, but if we do, those patients are at high risk for everything. The operation is harder because the gland is inflamed, it is sticky, it is um, uh, fragile um, and bleeds quite profusely. It is harder to dissect structures around uh, the thyroid gland. And because of manipulation of the gland itself, you can actually squeeze quite a bit of uh, thyroid hormone into the bloodstream and cause hyperthyroid storm, okay? Most of the time, the patient, these patients will, will come to me when they are euthyroid, being treated with uh, an antithyroid medication such as um, uh, PTU or, and or Lugol's iodine. But occasionally, very occasionally, uh, we have no choice but to take out a thyroid while it's still hot. Okay, guys, so we'll wrap up there with our three key messages. And Samira, as our guest, you get to go first. Okay, my one's going to be, if you have a suspicion that your patient is unwell, you straight away need to escalate and start treating this patient for airway compromise. Very good, very valuable. Don't delay. Um, time is oxygen. Do you have, do you have a take-home message, Wendy? So my take-home message is this, this particular episode made me think about more as a surgical intern on the ward, um, looking specifically at the complications for whatever the surgery is. So it made me think post-thyroidectomy, okay, I need to be thinking about certain things specific to that, as well as my usual post-op complications that I would look out for. Yeah, each, that, exactly. Each surgery has its own specific risk factors, and it's not limited to thyroidectomy, but thyroidectomy is a good example because there's a lot of specific issues and problems that may occur. Okay, thank you everyone and have a good week till next time. Thanks for having me, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Samira, bye now. See ya. Virtual Board Rounds is available wherever you get your podcasts. For updates, follow us on Instagram and Twitter or to send your thoughts, queries, concerns, comments, you can also email us at virtualboardrounds at gmail.com. Until next time, Happy studies.